Second response. Moses said to God, verse 13, If I go and the Israelites and tell them, The God of your fathers has sent me, has sent me to you, and they ask, What is his name? What should I say to them? Now, a lot of us as Americans, we just think, Okay, he doesn't know God's name. I mean, isn't Elohim and El Shaddai and all that kind of stuff? That's something we're saying. Name means character in the ancient world. So Moses is basically saying, so, okay, I go back to the Jews, and I'm standing before them. What kind of a person should I say that you are? Who are you? By asking what his name is, he's asking, what is your character? That's important, because right there that tells you, Moses doesn't know Yahweh. He doesn't know Yahweh. I mean, you know how sad that would be if, like, you've been married for 10 years and somebody says, who is your spouse and what is their character? And you're like, I don't know. You don't know what to tell somebody. And that's what Moses is saying. I don't know what to tell these elders of Israel who you are. I don't know who you are. And there might even be a little unspoken because where have you been for the last 400 years? And that's Moses revealing himself for who he really is. I don't know you, and I don't know what to tell other people. So I'm a horrible choice for this as a representative. It's a subtle way of saying, I still don't want to go because I don't know who you are. This is where God responds and says, God said to Moses, I am that I am, he said. And you must say this to the elders, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, You must say this to the Israelites, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial from generation to generation. This is the first time that God reveals his name, Yahweh. So what does this name mean? This name has shown up throughout Genesis, but it was always coupled with another title like God Yahweh or El Shaddai Yahweh or Lord Yahweh. But this is the first time in the book of Exodus that we're going to start seeing the name Yahweh all by itself. Now, the first thing you must understand is we do not know exactly how to pronounce Yahweh because there were no vowels in the original Hebrew. They were just kind of understood. Everybody knew the consonants and you just kind of knew what the vowels were. And this is amazing. If you actually take English and you get rid of all the vowels, you can still actually read the sentences pretty well because it's all all understood. You can actually get rid of all spaces between words, and you'll still be able to read the sentences. So in the original Hebrew, all they had was consonants, and there were no spaces between words. Later, as generations went by, and the younger generation was always dumber than the older, they started putting the vowels in and to help people to know how to pronounce it, mostly because they were spreading out more and more. So, but because the Jews will come along later and they'll kind of refuse to pronounce the name Yahweh out loud, and because the vowels aren't written, that pronunciation kind of got lost. So we can guess, because really intelligent linguistics can guess what the vowels would be with certain consonants. So the best understanding is it's Yahweh. So what he's saying is, this is my name. Now, this word comes from a Hebrew word, which is heya, H-A-Y-A. Heya is just the Hebrew word for to be, the verb to be. 
so he is, he was, that kind of stuff. I will be, it's that word. The first time that he gives it is the aheia. So there's like a little E with an apostrophe over it with a breathing mark before that. That's the first person form. So the first thing he reveals is I am that I am. Now, in its essence, this isn't just saying I exist, because that's kind of like, duh, you're talking to me right now. Nobody denies the existence of Yahweh because nobody denies the existence of any God in the ancient world. The concept of atheism isn't going to come about until the 1700s, maybe the 1600s. So the reality is atheism is believing in one God. That's what atheism is in the ancient world. And so what he's saying is not that I exist, but the first thing he's saying is, is this idea of I am. I have always existed. And this clearly is seen in Isaiah chapter 6 when the seraphim next to God are saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. By merely stating I am without any modifiers or explanation or context to when did you begin and when did you end and what do you mean by that, he's basically leaving it wide open to I have always existed. So the first meaning of the name Yahweh is that I'm not bound by time. I have always existed, I exist now, and I will always exist. That's the first thing he's stating by this completely undefined statement of I am. Now, that leads us to the second meaning of the name Yahweh. The second meaning is, if he has always existed and always will exist, unlike any other pagan god that exists in the entire universe, then that implies that he's also the sovereign over all things. Because if he existed before creation, then he's the originator of creation. And if he's created everything, then he rules and has sovereignty and power over all things. So the second meaning is his absolute sovereignty over all things. It's not that he's just powerful in control. Presidents, kings, fathers, they're all in control. They all have power. But sovereignty communicates the buck stops here, the ultimate power, the ultimate. So if you're the sovereign king of France, you're the ultimate power. There's nobody higher than you. But if you're the God that created the entire universe, then you are the ultimate power over all things. And so he's now stating a second thing that is not true of any pagan god, and that's the fact that he has sovereign power over all things in creation. Because the other gods were responsible for creating the storm, and another god created the sun, and another god created the rain, which means they're only sovereign over that element, and usually only in the territory of people who worship them. If you're not being worshipped, if that god's not being worshipped by Jimmy Joe Jew over here, then he has no power of the storm over him. And so the reality is, is that he's declaring his absolute sovereignty over all other things. So right now he's already declared two things that are absolutely unique about him that exists of no other being or God in the entire universe. But because words are always defined by context and never exclusively by the dictionary, like the word trunk, you can't go by the dictionary on that. Because the trunk could be the trunk of a car, the trunk at the end of your bed, the trunk of a tree, the trunk of an elephant. The only way that you know a meaning is by the context. Words are important, but what's more important than that are definitions. How are you using the word? I love my wife, I love my backpack, I love my daughter. That word love is being used completely different in every situation. And so context is how you define words. And the context 
Moses, God's first response is, I am with you. Now God says, what should I tell them? I am with you. And then he's going to say that again. I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. So the repetition of the I am with you gives the name Yahweh meaning. So the third thing that he's saying is, I am a God who is with you. That's what Yahweh means. I am with you. Which is the third thing that makes him completely unique than all the other gods. Now you have to understand, lots of gods are with you sometimes. Like Zeus, sometimes a little too much personal. Okay, if you know the mythologies. But there is no God that is absolutely transcendent and sovereign over all things at the same time with you and intimately involved in your life. I think we talked about that at the beginning. And so this idea that he's both sovereign and boundless as well as intimately involved in your life, that exists of nobody. Okay, basically there's no God. Even Allah doesn't get that way. Allah is powerful. Allah is sovereign. Allah is all these things, but he's stripped of the personalness. He's stripped of the, the being with you, the love, the covenant, all that kind of stuff. And so God is saying, I am with you. I'm not only the God of the universe that you fall before in absolute fear and terror because you realize you're a peon in this grand spectacle of things, but I'm the God that comes down and holds your hand and walks with you and talks with you. Okay, And that's the reality of what he's communicating. And that's important. Because that is the core of the meaning Yahweh. Because that's what keeps getting repeated over and over and over again in the context, is the intimacy and the intimateness of God. But then he goes on and he attaches it, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now we already talked about what that meant, but now what's different is that is being coupled with my name. And so what he's saying is I'm also the God of covenant promises. I'm the God of covenant promises, and specifically the promise made to a very specific people from whom you come from. I'm the God that honors his promises. So he's a covenantal God, which there is no other God in the entire universe that is a covenantal God. And here's the second thing. What first thing that makes Yahweh unique is that he's both transcendent and intimately involved in your life. The second thing that makes him utterly unique to all other gods is he's the only God that makes covenants with you, not contracts but covenants. Covenants where you're bound together in a I-want-to-know-you relationship where we're going to be friends or spouses or whatever, and there's requirements in order to maintain this relationship. And so the other thing that's unique about this is he's a covenantal God, and what you're going to find throughout scriptures is he's the only God in the entire universe that will pursue you to the ends of the earth and ultimately death on the cross in order to get you back. God hates divorce. And so he will never divorce you. He will pursue you to the ends of the earth in order to maintain that covenant with you because he is with you. And that is who he is. That's his character. That's the thing. This is his character. This isn't just the meaning of a name. This isn't the, just the definition of a word. He's spelling out his character right now. And if he is a God who is with you, then he cannot be a God that is not with you. Therefore, he will never be a God that will ever leave you, which means he will always be the God that pursues you. I mean, think right now. A lot of us probably by now would be like, okay, I'm done with this, Moses. But he just keeps pursuing and pursuing and pursuing. And so these are the four major aspects of his name. I am boundless. I have always existed and always will. Number two, I am sovereign over all things. Number three, I am with you. And number four, I am the God of covenant relationships. There is no other being 
I tell my students this. I know a lot of you doubt Christianity and you're struggling with it and working through it, and that's fine. If you don't have doubts, then your faith isn't really tested and tried and true. And I know some of you are tempted to chuck this whole thing, but if you walk away from Christianity towards something else, you're leaving this behind. Yes, the church has made a lot of mistakes. Yes, a lot of us are hypocrites and we're sinners and we will hurt each other because that's what we do as humans. And yes, sometimes things in the Bible don't make sense. But ultimately, in the end, you're not walking away from the church. You're walking away from this being. And you will never, ever, ever, ever find a being or a human anywhere in the universe that is like this. And that's important to understand. Is Whatever you think about Christianity, whatever you think about the church, because even as adults, we struggle sometimes with the church. This is the core of what it means to be a believer is this God, and this is what he's calling. And this is so important when he says then, you're my image bearers. And the image bearer means we tell the truth about God. And I don't mean just verbally, but the way that we act and the way we live. And this is how radical it is when Jesus comes and says, be like me. And later when we get to Leviticus, God says, be holy because I am holy. This is the character that we're called to. We cannot emulate the attributes of God, but we can emulate the character of God. And the beauty is, unlike Moses, you have the Holy Spirit to empower you to become like this. No one in the First Testament had that. And so this is the God of the Bible. So maybe to summarize the meaning of name of Yahweh up into one sentence, you don't have to write this all down, you can just go to my notes. But basically, if you put in quote the meaning of the name Yahweh, It would be, I am the sovereign creator who is the ever-present helper who is always with you and faithful to fulfill my covenant promises to you. So it's kind of like Japanese where they say one word and the subtitle is really long. That's the meaning of Yahweh. And you would expect a long definition for the name of the God of the universe. And so this is what he's communicating. Now, here's what's interesting. Later on, he goes into chapter 15, verse 15, and he says, you're to go to the Israelites and you're to tell them, and he changes the verb. It's no longer I am because Moses isn't I am. He can't say that. It is now he is. So the verb is changed. You go and tell them that he is, has sent you. And so that's the name that, most, that Moses will mostly use. And so this is what's so cool because... God is declaring himself to be, he can take any form of the verb that he wants to to communicate his character. Because he is, and or he was, and he is, and he will be. And basically what you have there is Yahweh, 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 and Isaiah. And that's what he's communicating to him. Now, from the context, it also feels like this is the first time God is revealing his name. And in fact, when we get to Exodus 6.3, God's going to say, by the patriarchs, they did not know me by the name Yahweh, but today you do know me by the name Yahweh. Now, if you go back into Genesis, you see Yahweh, 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 and you're like, wait a minute, that's not right. Yahweh is all over Genesis. Yet God is saying, they didn't know me by Yahweh back then. We don't know exactly what that means, but here's two scholarly guesses. Many scholars think that this means that they did not know the name Yahweh, but because Moses is the editor of the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, and because he's revealing this to the Jews or the Israelites, 
he went back and he added Yahweh next to all these Elohims and El Shaddai's in order to communicate to the Israelites that this is the same God of Abraham and Isaac. The God that you're experiencing right now, the God that brought you out of Egypt, the God that's before you on Mount Sinai, the God in the tabernacle, is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, in this sense, Abram has, or Moses has every right to do that because it's exactly what God just said here. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so what Moses is doing is he's taking this definition, he's taking the first part and the second and the third, and he's coupling with the fourth by saying Elohim, Yahweh, El Shaddai, Yahweh. And so he's communicating that to them. So it's an editor insertion. You're like, well, he can't do that. Well, technically he can because he wrote all of it. So, and it's, and it's still the same God. So it could be that Abraham did not know this name at all, but as an editor, he enters that all in there. The second possibility of what God means by this is that they didn't know the name. They did say the name Yahweh, but they didn't know what it meant. Okay, it's kind of like you spend maybe the first 10 years of your life not knowing the name, meaning of your name, and then you find like some name book, or you, we didn't have the internet to look it up back then, um, or you got a little license plate for the back of your bike, and it had the meaning on that and the sticker on the back. And then a lot of us were like, oh, that's what my name means. <laughs> because our parents didn't name us based on meanings. They named us based on phonetics for most of us. So they could be that they knew the name Yahweh and they were saying it, but they didn't know what it meant. Why did they not know what it meant? Because they weren't relating to Yahweh in that way. And that actually fits well because in Genesis, they're not experiencing Yahweh to the same extent as Exodus is. Because in Genesis, Yahweh is first revealing himself to him. It's kind of like my wife. I'm, not, I'm experiencing her in a much deeper sense now, after 13 years of marriage, than the first two. And I can't know her in the first two in the same way I do after 13, because there's, there's, that's just not how relationships work. And so it could be that they weren't ready for the full understanding of God's character in Genesis. And, they, and then eventually, after a while, the, the, Jacob's sons didn't even know Yahweh anymore. They were just doing their own thing. And the name Yahweh is not even being used in the last 10 chapters of Genesis because it's communicating how they think about him. And so it could be that they just didn't know Yahweh like that yet. Because remember the reoccurring theme all throughout Exodus is, who is this God? And this is going to be the fullest revelation of God in the entire Bible. Everything leads up to Exodus, and then Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And then there really isn't a whole lot of new revelations of God after that. These four books, so to speak, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, is the core, the concentrated juice, so to speak, of who God is in his revelation. And there's little things that we'll learn here and there and there and there throughout the rest. And I told you last week when we get the second testament, there's nothing new. So it could be that this is the moment that God has been waiting for, the full meaning of what it means to be Yahweh. And so it could be that that's what he meant by they did not know me by the name, the character Yahweh, even though they knew the words, the letters of the name Yahweh. So those are the two possible meanings. I tend to go towards the second, but ultimately without God telling us which one, we don't know. Now you also must understand that this is the only name of God. Yes, God is called Elohim, Sovereign King, El Shaddai, 
all those kind of titles that you've grown up hearing. And if you remember the Amy Grant song, you got El Shaddai. And then you probably had a poster in Sunday school class where it had all the names of God on it with a nice little flowery picture in the background. I remember that from my youth group. Um, but those aren't the names of God. Those are the titles of God. And you need to understand that those titles, Elohim, El Shaddai, are used of many, many, many other gods. Even the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the Prince of Peace and all that stuff, those Caesar called himself that. Uh, Cyrus the Great, the second of the Persian Empire, called himself that. These are titles that you would just give to anybody who had kingship or sovereignty. This is the only time that God, this is his name. And this is his only name. And so you must understand that those are, he has many titles, but he has one name. Because this is a name that no other being in the entire universe has. Think about it. Allah is God. The Hindu avatars are gods. We see titles like Lord and Master and Sir and all that kind of stuff everywhere. Jesus. There's many people named Jesus and Jesus and all that kind of stuff. But there is no being, no human, and no animal that's ever been named Yahweh. We don't hear that anywhere in the news. Because the reality is there is no being that bears this character. And that's why there's only one name. And so this is his character. This is his name. And that you must understand. All the others are titles. But this is who he is. Now, why don't you see Yahweh in your Bibles? That's because way back in the day, the, Jew, the Israelites went through the whole First Testament, and then they went into exile. And so in 5, 722, the Assyrians took the northern tribes into exile. And then in 586, Nebuchadnezzar sacked Judah and took them into exile. And then they came back under the leadership of Zerubbabel and Ezra and Nehemiah. Then that's pretty much the end of the First Testament. So around the 400s BC, counting down to zero, we enter what's called the intertestamental period, the time between the two testaments. During this time period, God had no prophets and no revelations for 400 years, which is absolutely unique. And this time the Jews kind of just spiraled away from God. And by the time we get to the Gospels, you have these brand new people called Sadducees and Pharisees, and they seem really jacked up and confused about what Judaism is. Because during this time period, they begin to realize what got us into exile. There were three things that took Israel into exile. One, their idolatry. Two, their social injustice towards the poor and all of them and the foreigners. And three, their mistreating of the land. So their way they related to the creation, the way they related to humans, and the way they related to God. The three curses of Genesis 3. Those things took them into exile. So when they came back out of exile, one of the things that Nehemiah first begins to ask is, how do we not go back into exile? We never, ever want that to happen again. The law. Let's just get on that law and get that down right. To the point that Nehemiah ends the book with very, very little love and compassion towards people, but a whole lot of law, 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 law. And he's like actually ripping people's hair out and yelling and screaming, obey the law. And yet all these people are in need, he's sending them away. So the, that's kind of how the Jews began. They got to miss the heart of God. They missed the relationship part of God. And they started pushing God so high up that they revered him. 
Now, in some ways, that's good because we've kind of gone the other extreme. We've gotten so buddy-buddy with Jesus and God, we've kind of lost the awe and respect and fear and obedience. But they went the other extreme. And so one of the things they says, we don't ever, ever want to commit blasphemy. Leviticus 28 says, do not commit blasphemy. The end of Leviticus, some guy commits, says the name of Yahweh wrong and God kills him. They're like, don't ever do that. We don't want to go into exile, okay? And we'll talk about it. It's not quite that, but we'll talk about that when we get there. So they said, Yahweh is his name and it is holy. We can't pronounce it. We're not going to say it because we don't want to commit blasphemy by accident. So what they did is they started saying Elohim instead when they came to Yahweh. Now this presented a conundrum. You can't remove Yahweh from the Bible because that's blasphemy. You're changing the word, the word of God. But what if somebody's reading the Bible and they accidentally say it out loud, then they've committed blasphemy. So it's between a rock and a hard place. The second thing that begins to happen is these things called the mystery religions begin to rise up in the Greek, Greco-Roman world. And they begin to see magic. And they begin to realize that if you know someone's name, you can have power over them. And I don't, you may have even seen this in some movies or that kind of stuff, witchcraft things. And so what they thought was, if, if we can master the name Yahweh, then that will give us an incredible amount of power. So they started using the name Yahweh in rituals to gain power. So to protect the name of Yahweh from that and being misused, they stopped pronouncing it for that reason too. So what they did, so that you don't accidentally say the name Yahweh, but at the same time you don't get rid of it from the Bible, they took the consonants, Y-W-H, and they filled in the consonants with the vowels of Adonai. Now Adonai is the Hebrew word for just Lord, Master, Sir, like Senor or Senorita. Okay, it just means your mom, your dad, a king, a teacher, whatever. It's sir, master. So what you would do is you would come to this name and they would put all the vowels in and then you would have the consonants of Yahweh. So that when you see it, it's not a word. It's just gibberish. It doesn't mean anything. It was never meant to be spoken out loud. Every Jew knew that it was not the name of Yahweh. But what it did was it let your mind know this is Yahweh. But then you would say Adonai out loud. And if you accidentally pronounced it, it would be Yehovah. And you haven't committed any kind of blasphemy. It was never ever meant to be pronounced out loud. Unfortunately, when we get to the medieval period and the Bible starts being translated in other languages, we got a bunch of people in the medieval period who are kind of down on the Jews. They're like, Judaism? Didn't they kill Jesus? We don't like them. In fact, why would anybody study Judaism and study in their history because they killed Jesus? In fact, we're going to take their temple mount and turn it into a trash heap and burn things on top of the temple. Okay, and they begin to just, they weren't not kind. If you go through Catholicism, there's a whole lot of not love for the Jews. Okay, um, it's really scary and really sad actually when you really begin to study it. And so they did not, so that meant that they became absolutely ignorant. So they come to this name. Yehovah, and they're like, oh, that's the name of God, because it says right there, God's, Yah, God is talking to Moses, says, I am Yehovah. And they have no idea what's going on, so they translate it. But because the Germans were not the first to translate the Bible in their language, but they became like the gurus, the masters, the ones that began to control scholarly academia for a long period of time. They were the first ones to really cement this. And so because there are no Ys in German, and they're Js, 
and the va, the W is pronounced with a va in Hebrew and German, it becomes Jehovah. And that's where we get the name Jehovah. It's gibberish. It's like cockophile or elephant. I mean, you're just mixing letters around and getting gibberish. Okay? So there, it means nothing. No Jew meant you to understand that as the name of God. It's not Jehovah. It's gibberish. It's Yahweh. And they did not understand that. And so many modern-day translators have carried that thinking in today. And so when you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's the name Yahweh. It's their way of telling you that this is Yahweh with using our own form of Adonai. So rather than mixing consonants and vowels, we just decided to capitalize every letter in lore. And so now you know, which we don't because nobody teaches that anymore, you're supposed to know that this is Yahweh, but you don't say the name Yahweh because the Jews thought you shouldn't say the name of Yahweh, so, and they might know better than us, so we're just not going to say the name of Yahweh either. So the name Jehovah and the L-O-R-D capital letters are all based on ignorance. Because the reality is this. In verse 15, Yahweh says, this is the name that you are to call me forever. This is my memorial to you. And what's interesting is everybody in the First Testament calls him Yahweh all the time. In fact, the narrators are going to use this device. When Gideon is first talking to God, he doesn't know it's Yahweh, so he just uses Elohim. And the minute Elohim burns up the goat on the altar, Gideon says, Yahweh. Because now he knows who he is. He's something different. But then when Gideon has a lack of faith and is just kind of like, okay, let me throw out the fleece because I'm not sure if you really can do it or not, he goes back to Elohim. He stops calling him Yahweh because he doesn't trust him or know that he'll really do it. And so this becomes a way that the narrator shows you whether the person knows Yahweh or not. And so not all the time, because when we get to Jephthah, he kind of just like blows it all up because he's just totally a moron and oblivious to everything. But the reality is, this is what he's used. So if it's really truly blasphemous, then why are the people the closest to God using this name all the time? Especially Moses. He's face to face. There's nobody who got as close to God other than Moses. And yet he's using the name Yahweh all the time and God's not striking him down dead. And David uses this name, and he says he's a man after God's own heart. And so the reality is, this is the name. And if he's revealing it to you and telling you the name, why would a good and loving God say, this is my name, and then you say, and he's like, <laughs> kills you. That completely contradicts the whole meaning of the name Yahweh. And here's the thing, the name Yahweh does communicate that absolute transcendent sovereignty. You're not lowering him down by using the name Yahweh, because that's exactly what the name Yahweh means. But at the same time, because he's a God who's with you, he's giving you his name. So it's like saying my name is William Jenkins, and he comes along and says, you can call me Bob. He's making himself more intimate. Now, do you always have to use the name Yahweh? No, because lots of people in the Bible don't always use the name Yahweh either. But don't have this fear either, because that completely contradicts the whole point of God revealing his name. And actually what's interesting is I have found the more I use it, especially when my wife and I start trying to use it more in our prayers, it actually really does make you, because you're using his name. There's an intimacy there. 
because that's his name. You're not using a title anymore. You're using his name, especially when you know the meaning of the name. Now, I know that some people are like, well, okay, big deal. Why would you get all upset about people using Jehovah and that kind of stuff? It's just a name. Everybody knows what you're talking about. Well, that's like going to your spouse and using the wrong name all the time. Your spouse isn't going to be like, oh, that's no big deal. I know you're talking about me. They're going to be very hurt. If I keep calling my wife Sally all the time, she's going to be very hurt. And the reality is God says, this is my name. And you're like, okay, Jehovah. That's not respectful either. And that's not honoring. So, no, you don't have to use the name Yahweh, but please don't use the name Jehovah either. But realize that every time you're seeing that L-O-R-D, all capital, that's Yahweh. And you need to understand that there's something absolutely unique about this name, that no other name or other title communicates and gets anywhere close to that. Does that make sense? So this is his name. And this is what's so powerful about it because this is what God's coming to saying, this is my name character. And this is what he's also saying. And this will be the sign to you. You will come back to this mountain and you will worship me with my people. Because what he's saying is by the time you come back to this mountain, you will know me by this character. Right now, this is a name. But my sign to you is you will know intimately and personally my character. Because what you don't know, Moses, is I'm going to reveal myself big time in the next 11 months. And you're going to be the front man. It's like being the front man of a rock band and you don't know any of the songs. That's basically what he's commanding Moses to do. You have to realize, Moses is never told how many plagues are going to be. He's given three signs. Leprosy, the staff, and the Nile, the blood. And then he goes and God's like, and go back to him again, and go back to him. And you're, you're Moses, you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't sign up for this. How many are there going to be? You're eight, and you're like, this is never going to end. Nine, this is never... And it's not until the tenth one that God says, this is it. This is the end. Moses doesn't know the game plan. He has no idea what's coming. In fact, right now, he doesn't even want to do it. Okay, it's like mom and dad forcing you to play football. It's, this is what he's going through right now. He doesn't know the game plans because he doesn't care about saying, no, I never did. Um, he doesn't know the game plans because he doesn't care enough to know them and he doesn't want to be a part of the team. And so this is what God is saying to him. I am with you because I am Yahweh. 